And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. Today we are continuing our periodic look at comics on film, if that's what we're calling it. Uh, and we are bo- we are looking at the first three episodes, which is the first story arc of the Silver Surfer cartoon animated series. Uh, it originally aired in 1998. Excuse me, wait a minute. Back up. Hold on. Let me put on the brakes. I'm Paul Spataro, and that's Scott Gordon. <laughs> I w- I What's happening? If- <laughs> I wondered if you were going to properly introduce us or not. I just was so you know what I'm a little I'm a little excited about just doing these reviews and I guess I got a little over uh, over ambitious there and just jumped right into it. How I, you doing? I, I'm doing good. I, I have a suggestion. I would say uh, comics on film, film on comics because I, I I think we could have fun doing it doing it both ways. So yeah. yeah, I think when we do these episodes, it doesn't necessarily have to be an animated version of a comic, but it has to be something that fits into the overall genre for us. Uh, before we started recording, we were talking about possibly doing something a little on uh, Star Wars Clone Wars, which is not an adaptation of a comic book, but there has been a comic book, and it is something that certainly fits in with the genre, as far as I'm concerned. Well, maybe something like comics in other media, because uh, I had an idea the other day of, uh, and I have no idea if, I know I'm just totally springing this on you, but it just popped in my head the other day of, uh, of uh, talk, you know, like video game talk, you know, when comics have been adapted into different video games and things like that. So, you know, just basically, you know, still comic talk, um, you know, still vintage comic talk for the most part, but, uh, you know, looking at that comics beyond just the, the printed page type of thing. So, yeah. Right. So, now that I've said all of that, <laughs> we're looking at the first story arc of the Silver Surfer animated series from 1998. Now, this is something that I have heard for years. Oh, it's really good. You, you should watch it. It's, you know, it's more sophisticated. It's, it's true to the comics. And it's not so much in its story, but in its tone. Um... And I've actually had uh, a disc with the episodes on it that someone gave me years ago, and I just never found the time to watch it. And for the purposes of today's show, I was talking to Scott, and we started saying, what are we going to cover? And I said, you know what? Disney Plus has this on it. Let's let's do that first story arc. And uh, you seemed equally interested in, in seeing what they had to show us. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was 
I, I went in with totally the wrong expectations of this. Um, I, I knew I really knew nothing about it whatsoever. So it, it's one of those things I should have gone in with no expectations. But for some reason, I, I had it in my head that that we were just going to have fun. Like, oh, my God, you know, making fun of it. Like, oh, my God, that was so bad. And I was really blown away by it. It's, it was completely different than what I thought it was going to be. I was struck by uh, the production values of it. There's a lot of, you know, CGI, um, you know, early uh, compute, you know, using computer graphics to enhance the animation, and I, I really enjoyed that a lot. There's a lot of this, um, you know, with like some of the grand vistas and and you know, especially like the opener to it and everything, which is a, a you know really wonderful melding of you know traditional 2D animation with you know hand drawn animation with the computer stuff. And it was giving me like a like a Freedom Force vibe if you ever played that video game because they did a lot of that sort of thing. It was you know that game was like a love letter to like the early '60s you know Kirby drawn Marvel stuff. And well, this is that, definitely done in the Kirby y- yeah know, Kirby style. In fact, there's one point where you see like Norman Rad's head and they have a little squiggle on it, which is yep. ex- you know like totally a Kirby thing. Yeah, so I it was it really gave me that vibe, and uh, yeah, I was really struck by you know the the high production values and you know the writing, and yeah, it's it, uh, just completely different than what I thought it was going to be. I, I really knew nothing about it. Um, I like the Silver Surfer, but I'm not a fan. I, I haven't read a hell of a lot of him or anything. Um, so I was going in pretty, pretty blind on this and, uh, and for the most part was pretty impressed with what I saw. It it was not what I thought it was going to be. See, now I was a little bit less impressed with the computer animation than you. Uh, I found that in the early days of this computer animation, uh, it's become, it, it, to me, it looks a little too obvious that it's computer animated, Uh, you know, as, as it progressed and as they developed more technology they were able to kind of meld it a little better so it was a little bit more seamless uh to me there's almost a little bit too much of a stiffness to the animation on that that said i think it was a bold attempt to do it and in 1998 so you know we're talking 23 years ago which it's hard to believe that was that long ago but in 1998 this was you know state-of-the-art, cutting-edge stuff. So, right. you know, I, I do have to look at it a little bit, with you know, give be, be a little bit more forgiving of, you know, what it was at the time, because, sure, now they could do stuff that would blow that away with the computer animation, but at the time, this really was, like I said, especially for a, uh, you know, this was a Saturday morning animated cartoon, is what it was. Uh, right. And this, this is really, you know, cutting-edge, no question about it. And it's not... You know, while, like I said, my appreciation might not be as strong as yours, it's not really bothersome to me so much as, you know, I just, I would I would love to for them to be able to update it based on today's technology. But, you know, just the same, I, 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 I definitely impressed, enjoyed it. I think what impressed me about it is that I think that we as fans accept the general rule and it, and it's not you know it, it's not a complete axiom but as a general rule i think it's accepted that marvel rules 
the live action films and DC rules the animated films and in animated series. And I think this is a, a really good example of that not necessarily always being the case because I remember when DC started to experiment with uh, integrating CGI uh, animation into their animated projects and it was very mixed results. Often it was very jarring um, specifically, I can remember the, the entire opener to Batman Mask of the Phantasm is CGI and it does not blend with the rest of that film at all. And then there's moments in um, uh, Batman and Mr. Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero where they uh, use CGI in that. And a lot of that's very dodgy as well. Some of it works, but for the most part, it's it's like flipping a switch. It's like, oh, we just went from hand-drawn to CGI. And I found for the most part with this that it blended pretty well. Um, I didn't really notice it until the first time there was, there was a lot of ships flying around. Um, and I started to get a serious, like, Star Wars, the Clone Wars vibe from the ships to a point where I was paying more attention to the ships going, wait, 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 is this CGI? And then it, it struck me that, oh, my gosh, it is. And I was thinking, for one thing, I, I did no homework on this. I just, you know, I just put it up on, on Disney Plus and started watching. So I didn't know, like, what year it was or anything. So I was thinking it was actually much older than it actually is. For some reason, I was thinking this was, like, mid to late 80s or something, you know, going into it. And then when I saw it was actually 98, I was like, okay, that makes sense. This is when, you know, computer stuff started to become more prevalent. Um, so yeah, I was just kind of really struck by that. I think when, when they stick to space stuff with the CGI, I think it's, it's blended pretty seamlessly. It's when they did a lot with, um, well, like Galactus is, I yes. think, I think he's entirely, um, CGI throughout the whole, I'm trying to remember if there was any points where he was, where he was 2D hand-drawn, and I can't recall. I think they did him CGI the whole time. And for, like, for like his body and his helmet and things like that, it, it works pretty well, but the face was a little... It was a little weird, um, you know, when, when he would speak and, you know, they'd do close-ups on his face and everything. So, yeah, that was a little dodgy. But for the most part, I, I really think that it was pretty impressive. Um, but it also, by being so impressive, uh, then, then sometimes um, when the 2D, you know, the hand-drawn stuff wasn't 100%, then that, I think it made that animation look that much dodgier. And that was something I noticed primarily in the third part, the, the third episode, where I, I did think that the hand-drawn took a, a step down a little bit, but I, I don't know if you feel the same way on that. I kind of felt, like I said, where the when the hand-drawn and the computer animated were blended, that's where I kind of it kind of took me out of it a little bit. I gotcha. Um, you, know, you, you mentioned about being, uh, you know, not the biggest Surfer fan. The thing is, I am a big fan of the character the Silver Surfer. I love his early appearances and his original series with you know john buscema 
uh, and even, you know, the, the graphic novel that they did and the, uh, uh, you know, the, I'm sorry, the, the, the John Byrne stuff that he touched on. He did the one issue with Stan Lee. Right. Um, right. The, the series that he had that, you know, actually ran for a good length, you know, I think it was like about 125 issues, something like that. I have a decent number of them and I've, I've long had it on my to read list you know, to start it from issue one and, and work my way through. And I just keep getting sidetracked and not getting it read. I've read, you know, little blocks of it here and there, but I've never given it kind of a complete read through. And it seems to me like this series might be, there might be a lot of adaptation from that in this, because this seems to be, from what I can tell, very Jim Starlin uh, driven as far as the characters and stuff like that that's going on. Right. Yeah, it's... It's one of those things where I, I know I've read at least some of it because there were things that were familiar and all, but um, I remember trying to read because I had – I don't think I ever had the complete series, but I had uh, fantasy masterpieces. and I, I, I had a serious chunk of it, if not the whole series, which reprinted I think in order, but I could be wrong. And I think they were complete. I don't think they were edited, but they reprinted the old Silver Surfer series, you know, the the Stan Lee and Jack Kirby stuff. And I think I was just too young for it or something because I, I just was bored by it. I really didn't like it at all, uh, and I don't think I ever finished reading it. I'd, I'd be curious to go back and see it now and see if I might feel differently about it, but... Yeah, I you know I remember like the John Byrne one shot, and of course you know anytime he would appear in other books like you know FF or um, uh, you know the Defenders and things like that. But really, the only thing that ever really stuck with me, you know, where I have any like vivid uh, recollection of it, was the very first issue of the series you're talking about, the one that ran for several years. Uh, I remember picking the first issue up off the stands just because it was a number one. And I, you know, I read it and I kept it. Um, I didn't go forward with it, but that one stuck with me because that's the one where he finally figures out how to free himself from uh, being exiled, you know, to Earth by uh, by Galactus. And I kind of wondered as I was watching this, I wondered if he was going to be exiled to Earth. And I, it struck me as kind of funny that, you know, spoiler alert, but at the end of this, um, he is banished, but he's banished to the universe. He's not just banished to Earth, which I thought was kind of kind of strange. So he's like, I was like, well, what kind of banishment is that? It basically just means don't come back to me, you know, Galactus. But, it, you know, he still is free to, to roam the spaceways and everything. So I, I thought that was kind of unusual. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I know I, I have a lot of that stuff or have had it. Um, I just really have very vague memories of it. But the thing that I think I was struck by the most was um, – I really loved the first episode, the, the very first, because the, the three episodes together, the reason we watched three episodes, you know, at your suggestion was that they're, they're bannered the origin of the Silver Surfer, you know, part one, part two, part three. And they kind of are, but the first episode's pretty much a standalone episode. I mean, it pretty much covers the origin, and then the other two are just kind of 
continuations of that story, but the origin's pretty much all told in the first one. And my biggest takeaway from that, beyond the fact that I really enjoyed it and it was really good, was, damn, what a what a movie this would make. You know, this this is rife for, you know, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, that that was really what struck me about that. Yeah, and they could do Galactus the right way. <laughs> now, so I thought the, the, he was the, the, really good in this. There were there were two characters that uh, that really struck me as I thought one was really well done, and I thought the other one was laughable. And that was Galactus, I thought was really well done. His voice is a little goofy, but I thought he was very well done. Um, and then Thanos... Um, just made me chuckle because they got just the weirdest kind of like prissy voice for him. And I was really shocked by it. I'm like, who, who looked at Galactus, who looked at the old comics or the Jim Starlin stuff or whatever and thought, Oh, he's prissy. Cause that was never my takeaway from that character. So I was kind of struck by that. You know, I guess it's you know you fall by the old the old standbys, so to speak, and uh, I would like to see Thanos voiced by Clancy Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I think of Thanos, you know, in, in animation, I'm thinking like Clancy Brown or um, oh, uh, what's a guy uh, Irons uh, uh, Ironside, oh, Mike, Michael, Michael Ironside. Ironside. Yeah, yeah, somebody like that, you know, with with a you know the deep voice or a gravelly voice or um, you know, I thought, uh, you know, the guy that plays him in, uh, in the MCU, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, damn, my brain's not firing this morning. Yeah. But oh, that, Josh, that actor, Josh I mean, yeah, I mean, not only is he physically, you know, he's got the, the physicality for it, but I mean that voice, I mean, he's got a perfect voice for it. So yeah, something like that, but I, I don't know. I didn't recognize, I did take a quick look at the cast of this and I didn't recognize a single name on there. Although there were several of them that sounded as I was watching the series, I was paying uh, attention to the voices and I thought I had recognized a couple at, at one point, but I don't recognize the names of any of the cast on this. I thought no, I for the most either, part and, uh... the, the cast was good, but, but, uh, but Galact or I mean, uh, Thanos was the one that really struck me as just really off. I'm just punching up the the actor who played uh, Thanos' voice is named Gary Crawford. Apparently he passed away in 2020. Um, Aww. Sorry, Gary. And, and you have the nerve to blast him. And I'm, just, I'm just looking <laughs> at his credits. And, you know, I, I mean, I guess he did do some live action stuff. But I'm I'm looking to see if there's anything that I would recognize him in, and I'm right. not really coming up with anything. He's got a lot of credits. He does have a significant uh, resume, uh, but I'm not I'm not finding him in any uh, any role where I'd say okay that's the guy. So I can't yeah. say that. But I but I, I, I would mean, say it, he didn't stand out to me as being a bad voice the way it did to you. I'd have to kind of watch it again to see if if I did or did not agree uh i i certainly might but I, it didn't it one thing i could say is it didn't jump out at me uh what oh here it's uh i guess this is his most famous role provided the voice of police chief brian irons for gun shop owner robert kendo 
Oh, and gun shop owner Robert Kendo for Resident Evil 2, which I don't, you know, I, I have no, I have very, very vague and extremely minimal uh, knowledge of Resident Evil. I, I, I think I played the video game once or twice, I, you know, the, the, the original arcade version of it. Yeah, you know, I, tw- 20 I, I never years played ago. the games. 20 years ago, you know. <laughs> I like the films, but I've never never played the games, yeah. I've never never seen any of the films, uh, never never seen any of the home versions of the games. Uh, I was in, I, I just, my only recollection of that is I was in a Nathan's 20 years ago, and they had a little arcade in the back, and one of my friends was like, oh, you got to try this, it's cool. And it was a zombie <laughs> game, and you had a gun, and you had to shoot the zombies, you know. That was, that was, that's my only recollection of it, and it was cool, but. You know, I, I couldn't tell you anything about well, any voice actors or anything in it. <laughs> uh, well, nothing you know, to do it, with, with what we're talking about, but it, it did occur to me uh, recently I finally finished watching um, all six of those films. And I, I forgot to do it afterwards, but my first thought after completing it was, oh, I need to get in touch with Paul and see if he wants to do an Is It Jaws on some of these. But uh, then I completely forgot to do it. So if you're ever up for that, I would totally be up for that because it's, it's an interesting experience. It's a real roller coaster ride of quality through the, those six movies. Quality and lack thereof? Well, I mean, for the most part, I, I, I don't want to give my ratings, but I mean, for the most part, I really enjoyed the ride. But it's also one of those things where you, you can easily stop at a particular film and, and be done and enjoy it and be like, OK, that was fun and not need to continue on. And uh, it'd be fun to kind of look at the, the series that way and, and, you know, give our personal opinions of where we think that that jumping off point is because I, I don't know that I would recommend going all six. Um, others, others may or may not. Um, my, my understanding is that the film, the uh, series is not highly regarded by people that were fans of the franchise to begin with me. I had no investment in the video game at all. So I was going in fresh. So I, I'm not bringing any baggage to it. And I think that really helped my enjoyment of it because I I rather enjoy the first film. The others are kind of, you know, it's, it's like apes. It's diminishing returns after that with, you know, there's some that rise back up a certain level and then there's some that never even approach, you know, that level again. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of all over the place quality-wise. Well, if I, if I ever get a hankering to watch it... <laughs> Excuse me, I'll keep your uh, your thought process in mind, and maybe we'll do an Is It Yours on it. I would I guess say the, at least the first the first one is definitely worth watching, in my opinion. I, I really enjoy the first one. Okay. Well, like I said, I'll keep that in mind. I'm not... <laughs> anyway, just need uh, to move to Central Florida. That's, that's what needs yeah. to happen. You need to move <laughs> down here so we can just hang out and watch movies together. And, and our wives will grow to hate us. <laughs> <laughs> But just just the same, uh, bringing us back to the Silver Surfer, I guess the most significant difference, and this would be the trilogy, not the not the first episode, but the most significant difference between this and the traditional story is the lack of the Fantastic Four involvement in it. Yeah. And it occurred to me uh, there have been two, or actually three, and you know what, I, I think I... I think I got to go with three. There's three versions of that on film. You have obviously Fantastic Four: Two Rise of the Silver Surfer, 
but you also have a uh, the story in the original 1966 cartoon, and then again in the in the uh, was it late 80s or early 90s? I guess early 90s uh, cartoon they did. I think it was a two-parter on uh, Galactus and the Silver Surfer. And I think maybe we should do an episode right. where we take all three of those all at once. Actually, you know what I think might be cool that is be- to look to look at Rise of the Silver Surf and the eight, 90s cartoon and then follow that up, maybe even in the same episode, with a commentary on the 66 cartoon. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because after watching this, I almost pulled the trigger on watch- re-watching um, Rise of the Silver Surfer, which... I really enjoy, uh, or at least I should say enjoyed. The last time I saw, I haven't seen it in quite a long time, but the times I have seen it, because I think I've seen it, you know, two, three, four times, um, I really dig that one a lot. Uh, I, I really thought, you know, it was a good one. It'd be interesting to watch it now, because the thing I liked about it, my biggest takeaway from that film, was I felt like that was the movie you could point to as really blowing comic movies up bigger, you know, um, as far, you know, expanding, uh, expanding their universe, so to speak, and and going with a, with a much larger, uh, you know, potential storyline and and potential canvas to play with. Unfortunately, uh, my biggest problem, I think most people's biggest problem was that with that was then, you know, where they should have gone all in, they pulled back, which was, you know, Galactus turning out to just be this big cloud thing um, rather than going all in and going, yes, we're going to do Galactus. And, and they didn't. They pulled back at the last minute. And I, and I think that really hurt that film. But now that we have gone truly cosmic, uh, you know, in our comic book movies you know you know especially with the marvel cinematic universe i mean you know we're, we're dealing with you know the guardians of the galaxy and in you know infinity war and all of that it'd be interesting to now to go back and look at something like rise of the silver surfer and you know would it just seem small and quaint now whereas before it felt kind of trying to be grand you know trying to be cosmic in scale so i, I don't know it'd be it'd be really interesting to look at that well, they certainly could use that as a template and then fix what was wrong with it, because uh, they're not, you know, they, they, the new Marvel movies don't owe anything to that. I don't believe they're going to, uh, you know, t- to be beholden to that history in any or continuity in any way, shape, or form. So, right, right. You know, when they when they do go Fantastic Four, which I understand is not too far off, uh, you know, they, they, there's no reason that they can't redo that story right and and by by redo it right i mean redo it right don't do what what fox did with the uh dark phoenix saga and do what i thought was an entertaining movie that that was critically lambasted and then follow it up with a movie that really wasn't nearly as entertaining and was just as critically lambasted uh in in the, the redo of the same thing right Although I, right. I, you know, just just to pull off, off from that a little bit, I did watch the uh, the Dark Phoenix version that they did the second one, and I, I think the the criticism of it 
does border on hyperbole a little bit. Uh, you know, it, yes, it, it was it was a failure, but you know, like everything on the internet, it has to be. You know, it's because it's a failure it has to be the worst ever. It, it was not the worst ever. I've seen right. much worse. It was, you know, it had some entertaining moments and it had some ent- entertaining portrayals. It just was not overall a good movie at all. Right. Absolutely. So. Are you but, uh, but, are you strolling as you're talking? No. Oh, okay. I think you're you hear my, you might that, hear my that, fan in the background. No, you're Is getting that, that weird electronic-y breakup noise again. I, I don't know if you're recording. We'll pick it up or not, but... I hope not. No, I'm sitting. I'm seated in a chair. With oh, okay. My foot, el- my, my foot elevated. <laughs> so, just to kind of, I, I I made some notes on uh, on this as I watched it. Uh, first thing I, I noticed was that uh, you know when I looked it up on Wikipedia, uh, they said it was canceled due to a legal dispute, as opposed to you know yeah. ratings. So that that caught my eye a little bit. About. Yeah, I, I was just seeing the same thing on the on the wiki for this, but it doesn't really go into it. I, I would have I I had just assumed it would be. I was uh, surprised when I looked in the you know the season guide on the Disney Plus to see how many uh, seasons it ran that it was only the one for what was it like thirteen epi- yeah thirteen episodes. Uh, I was kind of surprised because I thought it had run longer than that, and then I assumed that it was just, well, it must not have been very popular, but I don't know, according to this, yeah, like you say, legal dispute, but it doesn't go into it. So, yeah, I wonder what, what that was. Uh, just just to go back for a second, I wanted to touch on what you said about, uh, uh, you know, the lack of the Fantastic Four. I, I think that was the biggest reason that I thought it took a serious step down in that third episode. Cause I really enjoy, I, I loved the first episode. I thought the first episode was fantastic. I enjoyed the second one. Um, I thought the animation quality was still there and everything. Uh, I just thought the story took a slight step down. Um, and then again, I didn't really care for, uh, Thanos's, uh, voice portrayal. Um, and then that third one I enjoyed, but I was going into the third one thinking we were going to get an adaptation of the classic FF story. And um, they did an admirable job of doing that story without the FF in it. But, you know, as somebody who is, you know, passingly familiar with that, it just it really stood out like a sore thumb that, well, the FF isn't in it. So it, it was really weird. And they, instead of having the FF, they bring in Frankie Ray, who I really like. I'm a big fan of that character, but that was, it was just really awkward. It was, it, that was where it devolved into Saturday morning cartoon with her and her little friend there. I thought that yeah. a lot of that was kind of silly. And she was, she was more April O'Neil than she was Frankie <laughs> Ray, I thought. Yeah, I, uh, I I had that in my notes too. I did not care for how Frankie Ray was portrayed in this. I thought, you know, in the comics she was a pretty sophisticated character, although in some ways oversimplified with her fear of fire, blah blah blah. But to you know, give, she was an adult. She made a choice. You know, she was enamored with Galactus and, and made a choice to follow him. Uh, you know, there was a whole thing with the you know with her. Uh, relationship with uh, Phineas Horton 
you know, there's a lot of stuff there that got, you know, just got swept under the rug in this to make, to turn her into a, uh, what was she, a skateboarder, uh, whatever, whatever she was. Yeah. Uh, it was just, it was just like, oh, please. Skateboarder, <laughs> rollerblader, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was really weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I could have done without that totally. And I, I, you know, I guess the FF was excluded in an effort to kind of create their own little franchises. Uh, I have no idea, you know, especially when, when this was canceled due to legal disputes, I have no idea, you know, how the rights lied. But I, I mean, I guess they were both with Fox, you know, the movies, the cartoons and, you know, and all. So there, there doesn't seem any reason why you couldn't put the Fantastic Four in it unless they were afraid it would take the spotlight off of the surfer. Well, was there an ongoing Fantastic Four uh, animated series at that time? I'm not sure about the timing. The, um, you know, the 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 '90s animated one. I'm pretty confident would have been done by this time. Uh, there, but then later, there was the uh, the one that was pretty much primarily computer animated, which I thought was actually pretty bad. Uh, so I, but I think that was after this. I don't think that was simultaneous. So there, there, so there, there really didn't seem to be any reason. Go ahead. There was one in '94. I'm trying to see. That's the who that's the was one I was talking about. Yeah, that one was New World. Well, distributed by New World Entertainment. So. I'm just wondering, so the one I think that you're talking about was Fantastic Four World's Greatest Heroes. That one I thought was later, let's see, what year? I think so. I think that was probably you know early 2000s is my guess. Yeah, yeah, it is early 2000s. Is this the one that you were talking about that you thought was really bad? Yeah. So we need to take a look at that one sometime. There was, there just, was that one, and then there was the MTV Spider-Man one that was computer animated that I did not care right. particularly. I, I won't say I loved the visual aesthetic of the World's Greatest Heroes one, um, but I, I overall I really enjoyed that show. Um, that I did watch that. I think i watched all of it i I could be wrong but i I remember watching it as it aired as as new episodes came out and you'll be generally steer me towards the episode that you feel is the one you know that stands out as the best if there is one and then we'll we'll take a look at that at some point yeah i was trying to remember if they uh if they adapted that story, because I, I want to say that they did, but I'm not looking, you know, just doing a cursory glance at the at the um, synopses of the episodes. I'm not seeing it here, but I thought for sure that the Silver Surfer was in at least one episode. And I thought that they did an adaptation of uh, of the classic Galactus story. I'm just not seeing it here, but. But yeah, it's you know, generally speaking, I really enjoyed that one for the fact that it, it really pulled in 
um, a lot of characters from all over, uh, you know, the Marvel, you know, from all of, all of Marvel, but you know, particularly a lot of uh, FF related characters and cosmic characters and that sort of thing. Which, looking at the the wiki for the Silver Surfer series, um, it looks like they did it too, um, and just not necessarily in the in the couple of episodes that we looked at although you know like you say um uh, thanos was in there um the watcher was in there which was cool um but it looks like later episodes uh they also pulled in a lot of other you know cosmic characters adam warlock and pip the troll and stuff like that so yeah yeah i like the effort that they made to uh to, to make this more you know a bigger universe to to bring in these other uh, characters. You know, again, it seemed like they were trying to go a little bit with the Jim Starlin uh, version of the cosmic Marvel, which I'm all for. I understand they did change, you know, Warlock's origin, which, you know, it's fine. It seems like they're doing that in the cinematic universe also, uh, you know, if, <laughs> if we ever actually see him. Uh, right. But, I, you know, I, I, I like the fact that they, they included the Kree and the Skrulls, right from the get-go and it was interesting because the two that they portrayed got along uh and and you know we're, we're actually like saluting each other as they uh went after galactus and i could easily see you know that if they decided to build on that to have them you know despite the fact that those two got along still have you know serious aggression between the two uh worlds and have them uh blame each other for whatever Galactus does and, and have that the start of the Kree Skrull war, which they could go with. Uh, right. You know, I, I, you know, I, I am, uh, I have a soft spot for Adam Warlock and Pip the Troll and Gamora and, and Thanos and, you know, the whole Starlin thing with that. So I'd definitely be cool with them going there. And, and I, you know, I'm, I am intrigued to watch more episodes of this. I don't think I'm going to like seriously binge it. Like, I don't think I'm going to sit down after we're done and just watch the 10 remaining episodes. <laughs> but I might right. do, like, an episode a week or an episode every couple of days. And, I, you know, I'll get through it with only 13. It won't take too long to get through it. Uh, and, and I'll, you know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what else they have to offer me with this series. So right. I, I did have a couple little notes. Uh, they, they did uh, scrap Galactus's traditional orb of a ship. Uh, and it looked to me like he was he was flying in the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> uh, I was thinking more the uh, the mothership from Close Encounters with all, without all the little spiky doodads on it because it's essentially it's just a giant UFO. You know, it's like a giant flying saucer. But I, I liked it. I thought it was cool. And along the same lines, when uh, Norrin Rad in the first episode uh, went up to. Uh, to try and confront Galactus, it looked like to me, to me like he was going in Kal-El's rocket ship. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I wonder I, if that was purposeful. I, you know what? I, I thought about that while I was watching it, and I thought, you know what? It probably is. There was probably a little homage there, you know, a little silent homage. Uh, and and if you if you saw it fine, and if you didn't see it fine, which is kind of what the way I prefer it anyway. You know, don't you don't you don't have to hit us over the head with it so that if somebody's not familiar with it, they're gonna feel like they're missing something. 
it. But I, but I, I was, a, I was of the impression it looked similar enough to that, not only in its shape and all, which was is kind of the traditional uh, rocket shape that you know people go with, but also even just the way it was before it took off, the way it was on the, uh, I guess the the whatever it is that's holding it in place. Uh, it, it just looked to me like the, uh, the, the Kryptonian rocket ship. And I, I think that's great right. if they were giving a little nod to that. Uh, I had a note about the, the Kree and the Skrulls, which we talked about. I had a, a note about the uh, combination of the traditional and computer uh, graphics and that it was what I wrote in my notes was oversimplified Kirby. Uh, which which is probably Kirby of the, you know, I, I don't remember when Kirby passed away, but when he was doing some animation work with, like, Thundar the Barbarian and stuff like that, right, they probably right. adopted some of the style from there. Uh, when he first uh, starts to absorb the uh, energy from uh, Zen La, uh, Galactus has, like, a little smile, which I thought was interesting, a little interesting character note, because I'm not... I'm not thinking Galactus would show emotion very much, ever. Uh, you know, it needs to be something significant. So that, that kind of says to me, okay, he, you know, his, his, his energy levels are depleted, and, he, you know, the, the, the fact that he's feeling that, that burst of energy is giving him a smile, as opposed to he's smiling because he's killing all these people. Uh, but then we also have like a maniacal laugh at one point that he does later on when he's confronted. So there, there is a little bit more. You know, I, I like the, I like the perspective of Galactus that, you know, unless there's something that specifically relates to him, uh, he considers himself to be above and beyond not only, you know, the the humans and humanoids that he's dealing with. But even the morality and all of that. So the maniacal laugh almost didn't seem quite right to me. And I, I, I made a note there that I thought his voice would have would have gained a little something if they had added just a touch more reverb to it and made it a little bit more similar to like the uh, uh, the god at the end of uh, Star Trek V. Right, right, yeah. Which is actually, that was what I was saying for... Uh, for the Rise of the Silver Surfer, I had said that many times that they could have portrayed Galactus the way they did that character, and it would have come off much better than the space cloud. Right. Um, <laughs> I noted I noted that there was the Kirby squiggle on Norrin Rad's head, and actually I likened Thanos's voice in my mind to Gul Dukat from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. In my notes. <laughs> Which, which is not necessarily a bad thing, because he's a, uh, a schemer. Which Thanos, Thanos is incredibly powerful, but he's also a schemer. You know, as I know the character of Galactus, he would rather get where he's going through his schemes than actually using brute force to do it. He's not above using brute force, but he'd rather not sully his hands. I liked the way that they portrayed him speaking to death who is his mistress without ever actually revealing what was going on there and i assume we're gonna kind of get that explained to us later i i thought that and then i also thought 
that this is arguably, you know, a, a cartoon for children. So I thought maybe they couldn't go there. This this was their workaround. Um, rather than actually show or, or call her death, that this was as close as they could get. But I thought they did a really good job of it because, you know, it's it's ultimately revealed that he's speaking to what looked to be like just a, a statue of uh, of a woman. Um, you know, and then we, you know, with our comic book familiarity, know, of course, who she's supposed to be. So I, I, I thought that was interesting. But, yeah, they never really come right out and, and lay it out for you that, you know, that he's in love with death or worshiping death or anything like that. Um, yeah, most of the time he's just kind of talking to himself or, or so you think until it finally reveals her there at, at the at the end of that one episode. But, yeah, I thought what? that was interesting. I really liked his ship. That was that was what I was most impressed with with Thanos was that ship he had. I, I think that was original to this. I don't recall him ever having a ship quite like that in the comics. I could be wrong, but it reminded me of of uh, Brainiac's brain ship that he had. Like when they reimagined Brainiac in the 80s, mm. and he had that ship that basically looked like a giant brain with tentacles. It right. looked a lot like that. It was like, take that ship... And then have it be drawn by somebody that you know is like a heavy metal artist, you know, like Mobius or somebody like that, and that's kind of what it looked like. And I think whenever they showed that ship, uh, to, to my quick recollection, I think it was always CGI. And so I loved the way it moved and and you know just the way they animated it, you know, three dimensionally. And it had all kinds of you know weird pipes and little doodads on it and stuff, and it just it looked really cool. It's very impressive and, and creepy looking because it's essentially just a giant floating skull head. But right. it, was, it was cool. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, curious what you think of the theme music with the you know the haunting vocals kind of in the background and all of that. I I thought. You know, it's not my style of music, certainly, but I did think it set a tone to say, "Hey, you know what? We're not going to be a, a real a little kids show." That's that's kind of the message right. I got from that that music. Uh, you know that it, you know we're we're trying to be a little bit more sophisticated than that. I thought it was interesting. Um, it's certainly it's trying to be kind of grand and cosmic. Um, but it's also, you know, it's a it's a you know a kids cartoon show, so it it struck a weird balance between the two of them. But I thought it was interesting. Uh, if I'd ever heard it before, I didn't recall ever having heard it before, which was kind of uh, you know disconcerting for me, you know, being the big soundtrack guy and everything, you know, for there to be a, a superhero theme, and I've never heard it before. But I, I didn't recall it if I had. Uh, I was paying a lot of attention to the music, um, both in the opener and you know throughout the episode. And uh, I mean, it's it's I won't say it's standard cartoon music, um, but it was it, it didn't really jump out. You know, it didn't have a, a you know particular themes or anything like that. But the the theme of the show I, I liked. I thought it was it was interesting. Um, but I also think it's very much of its time as well. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Uh, that's kind of all my notes on it. Do you have any uh, 
Any other observations or notes? I didn't, you know, I, I really just got sucked into watching it, so I didn't write down any specific notes, which now I regret that I didn't. I, I should have gone through and watched it a second time and taken specific notes. But it was more, I really just wanted to, you know, talk more about, you know, the impressions that it left on me. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad that uh, that I watched it because, you know, when you first proposed this, um, I, I was definitely interested from an angle of, well, I've never seen it before, but I really did think it was going to be, uh, you know, the, I just was going to be like, eh, you know, that was all right. Or, or you know, at, at the best, I thought I I think it was OK. I, th- I really expected to be like, oh, God, you know, because I, I just I'd not heard good things about it. And I hadn't really heard much of anything about it at all. Um, and it really I, I, I was quite impressed with it. I, I really, you know, anybody listening, you know, if you're if you're curious about it or whatever, you've never seen it, at, at least watch the very first episode. I'd highly recommend the first one. I thought the first episode was uh, was really solid. And from what I remember of the the comic book origins and everything, it seemed like it was pretty faithful um, from what I could recall. Uh, but it's it's a really good you know standalone uh, story and standalone episode and it's I mean it definitely exudes Lee Kirby I mean it really felt like that you know it felt like a like a living comic I mean it it could actually be one of those like motion comic ki- kind of things that's kind of a lot of what it felt like to me um, but I, I was I was impressed I thought the the production quality you know the production values of it were really really good. Um, and again, I thought the second one was almost as good. Uh, and then the third one, I don't know, the third one I, I enjoyed a lot. I, I think between the lack of the Fantastic Four and then I, I do think that the, the elements that take place on Earth, which is most of the episode, um, that ju- that was where it, it felt dated because then you're tied to a specific uh, era and a specific look and everything. And that it was like, he suddenly came down to earth and it was like earth ninja turtles, you know, cause that's what it looked like to me. It was, it was kind of mm-hmm. like he'd, he'd suddenly found himself in an episode of the teenage mutant ninja turtles, you know, and, and you know, everybody was, you know, in the nineties and it, it just had this weird aesthetic to it. And then when all the, the, turmoil starts happening because Galactus is feeding you've got these (laughs) tidal waves coming in and you know it's a kids show so they can't really play up the whole horror angle but I'm thinking you know when when you would see like these giant tidal waves that come I'm thinking like you know tens of thousands of people just got massacred yet the characters weren't really reacting to that. You know, they were busy trying to get in like a hot air balloon and they get in there and they're like, everybody's like, yay, we made it. And I'm thinking, no, you know, this is a horrible situation. Like an entire city just got murdered, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's it, true. it was a little inconsistent. there. Yeah. It, it played very weirdly with that whole thing, you know, with to, just to the me, way the, it was. To me also the art, you know, the contrast of the computer generated space stuff to the, you know, much more, you know, much more simplistic hand-drawn, uh, you know, yeah. earth-based stuff. Uh, that's that was one of the problems I had with the animation is you know the just the, the contrast. So you 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 know what what you said is exactly right that you're getting that distinction between not only the the look, 
but also between the characterizations. You have something really, really serious going on, and when, when it's, you know, out in space, it's very cosmic, and they're taking it very seriously, and then you get it down to Earth, and you're turning it into a Saturday Morning Kitty cartoon. Yep. So that, that, yes. that doesn't help yeah. it any. Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, looking at a, a quick look at the at the other episodes, synopses and all, it looks like they stay out in space after that, and that probably is to the benefit of the show, I'm thinking, because that, that, was, that was the one moment in the thing where I thought it, it just it took a step down, because it, it did. It, it, it was just too much of... Uh, you know, a, a glaring opposite between, you know, the really cool looking space stuff that, that I thought held up really well with, you know, the CGI and all that. And then the very cartoony earth stuff, um, you know, with the dated clothing styles and just the, the characterizations were just, a, you know, they were goofy, you know, they were, they were Saturday morning cartoon characters in a show that otherwise had had a real sense of weight to it and and seemed like it was rising above just being a Saturday morning cartoon, you know, with with kind of the the grand scope that it was playing with. Um, so yeah, that the third one didn't quite play, and I'm not sure why they even really felt the need to do that other than to give him another Harold to replace. The surfer. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. I'm, I'm glad I hit upon this because I knew there was a, something else I wanted to talk about. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like like there wasn't any sense of, of a, like time had passed between when he became the surfer and then when he started to kind of question his existence and and eventually realize that his mind had his memories had been wiped and everything, did I did I miss something there or or did they pretty much just go from one right into the other? Because I, I felt like it really would have benefited by at least a mention that he'd been doing this for a while. Like he had been Galactus's Herald for like, I don't know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. And I didn't get that sense. It really felt like he becomes the surfer. He finds Galactus one planet to eat. And then he starts to question his existence. And then by the time they get to earth, he he's already rebelling. So it, it, seemed like it happened really fast like there wasn't any time for him to be the surfer for a while you know be the herald for a while before he turned on galactic did, did i miss something there or is that pretty much how it no played? i i think i think it's that they uh i i th- do think there is supposed to be the passage of time there uh but i just think they did a you know that's one thing they did a poor job of portraying I think they they needed to show that a little better, and that you know they, it could have done with a little montage scene where they, uh, you know, they kind of showed him being uh, Galactus's faithful herald for you know over you know various doing various things that would you know kind of uh, convey the passage of time, but they didn't do that, and they just kind of rushed right to it, so. You know, I, I think yeah, that, so that, that would it would it would have been a better characterization of it. It would have it would have given a better motivation to the people who are aware of him, afraid of him, that type of thing. Right, right. 
Yeah, because I mean, I, I felt like I was really paying attention to it when it was on. I mean, I wasn't distracted or anything, but it was just one of those things that once I realized it, I'm like, wait, did I miss something? Did you know, did I miss a line of dialogue? But it it did just feel like essentially this happened all within like a matter of uh, a couple of days, maybe even like a single afternoon. You know, it, it was it was weird. I, I really was thinking like, well, that was fast. You know, he, he no sooner becomes the Silver Surfer than he rebels against Galactus. It, it really felt like they needed to, you know, like I say, pad it out, you know, throw some, you know, throw some years in there. And yeah, I think your idea of, of showing a, like a montage would have been great, you know, show several, uh, you know, worlds get eaten and, you know, civilizations get either displaced or outright destroyed. Cause that was supposed to be the, the whole, impetus for why he rebels is once he starts to get his memories back he realizes well the whole reason i did this was to protect life and here i am you know drawing him to planets where where he's killing people so i i thought they kind of missed a beat right there but then again i mean we're watching these you know back to back if you, you were watching them you know over the course of how they actually aired you know where it was probably like a i'm assuming this was like a saturday morning show or something like that you know so when you've got weeks in between episodes or what maybe that gives you your sense of you know the passage of time i'm i'm not really sure yeah i I, I just think it would have been better served for it, though. I I, I come back to that. I, I think there there was no reason that they had to rush through it like that. But I think I think that's that really is actually the reason. I think they ultimately wanted to get to the story they wanted to tell, and the story they wanted to tell right. wasn't necessarily how he becomes Galactus's uh, herald, so much as what happens once he stops being Galactus's herald and okay so now we want to get the the new herald in there but we really don't want to focus on her in her human form much so we're going to just rush to that characterization as well and you know I, I think it suffers a little bit for that uh it's almost as if they knew they were only going to get 13 episodes and they wanted to get there quickly which in you know, <laughs> understanding that they only did get 13 episodes, it does make, you know, it does make more sense. But if they thought they were going to have several seasons, they could have really made the whole first season a story arc of, uh, you know, him becoming the Silver Surfer and then serving Galactus and slowly coming to the realization, you know, where, where he isn't really a hero. He's a hero when it starts because he takes on that role. And he's a hero by the time the season ends because he regains his own self-control. But in between, you know, you're kind of rooting for the for the planets that are getting devastated. Right. I I, I think that well. would have, that could that could have been kind of powerful. But then again, we are talking a Saturday morning show that is going to no matter who your intended audience is, is it's going to be primarily children. Right. So. Well, just to show I'm not always a 100% comic book purist snob, um, I, I do think that the change of not having him banished to the Earth, but having him banished to space, while weird and, and a little bit silly for purposes of this show and you know, specifically for the aesthetic – I think was the better choice because yeah the the Earth stuff was definitely the weakest of the animation 
Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that later episodes where he's out, you know, dealing with cosmic stuff probably looks a lot better because I didn't have a problem with anything on like Zen Law. I thought Zen Law was was wonderfully animated. I, I thought that that stuff really looked good. Well, uh, ultimately, his punishment isn't that he's banished to the universe. His punishment is that he, you know, you you go wherever you want in the universe, uh, but you're not going to find Zen Law again because I've kind of moved it and hidden it. <laughs> right, right, yeah, there was that too. Well, so he also really said something about. He was like, essentially, he was branded or something with like the. So Galactus seemed to think that because he was now, you know, running off the power cosmic, that he was going to be like a pariah, like people would be afraid of him and wouldn't embrace him and everything because he was now a, a you know some sort of cosmic entity. So I'm I'm wondering how that plays out, you know, in later episodes. I, and there was there was some suggestion of that as well that he would he would have trouble finding, you know, people that would, uh, you know, that would embrace him or, you know, that that wouldn't be afraid of him. Which would have also been better served if you had shown that there was time for the legend of the Silver Surfer to make its way through the, you know, the universe. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So. Well, I think that's pretty much all I've got on this. But uh, but yeah, good good suggestion. I really did enjoy this a lot more than I thought I was going to. Same for me. And, you know, again, I, I'm going to give it, you know, a, a solid review. Uh, not, you know, it's, it's not the, oh, my God, I can't wait to, wait to watch the next one. But really good. And I do plan on watching the next one. It's just, you know, I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not going to binge it. I'll watch it a little by little and I'll get through it. And I'll enjoy getting through it. <laughs> Just the way I said it, I realize that makes it sound like it's almost a chore. Uh, you know, it, it's something for me to check out. And but I, I, I feel that this might be better served. And like you said, uh, we might have even enjoyed these three more if we had a gap in between them instead of binging them. So. Possibly, possibly. I, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed you know binging them the the back to back. For the comparisons, uh, you know, of the quality and, and how things carried through, um, I, I still find it interesting though that they that they decided to you know label each one as the the origin of the surfer because I while the story carries through the the origin proper to me is done in the very first episode. It's you know it everything you need for that story is is self-contained in that one it's just the other two you know are are a continuing story beyond that whereas these others look like they're more or less standalone episodes there there is one two-parter it looks like but for the most part it looks like then it just becomes episodic you know cartoons well the the other thing i actually the other note i had uh, as much as you know, I love Jack Kirby's stuff, and Jack Kirby did create the Silver Surfer, uh, and so I do like the fact that they went with the Jack Kirby stylings. But to me, you know, we, we've talked about who is your signature artist for different characters. The signature artist for me for the Silver Surfer is John Buscema, having drawn the first series that he had. Right. So, and and I I do think you know his style probably would have lent itself to animation a little better because it is a little cleaner. Uh, so I, I, I think they might have been better served going with that as their character uh, models. But, right. You know, that's 
water under the bridge at this point, and being a big fan of Kirby, I don't mind seeing his work, you know, being given uh, some promo heavy promotion like this. But that's, I guess, that's I my, it, my final thoughts on it. What we, no, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? No, I just, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think it worked really well. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't find it distracting or anything, because um, it was like smoothed out Kirby, if you know what I mean. It, it wasn't, it wasn't blocky. It wasn't, uh, you know, clunky looking or anything. Uh, it was, it was much more smooth and, and kind of blended a little bit. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, when I when I picture the Silver Surfer in my mind, I more picture the the Buscema version um, than the Kirby version. And the Kirby one more comes from Fantastic Four. So seeing as how the FF weren't allowed to be part of this, yeah, that is a little bit strange now that you mention it. I also would have liked, and it's because of the influence of that first series that he had, I would have liked to have seen them uh, work Mephisto into it. But again, Saturday morning cartoon. Right. Well, we didn't mention uh, Ego. Ego is uh, in the episode as well, which I thought was, was oh, actually yeah, yeah. kind of fun. Ego is such a I, goofy, fun concept. I would have liked to have seen him be more formidable and, and more imposing instead of somebody who was basically subjugated by Thanos. Right. But, you know, they, I, I don't know if we're going to revisit ego as the series goes on if we do you know they might have a chance to uh, to do exactly that if that was the only thing we're going to see of him i would have rather him seem more imposing for the time we had him right anyway i guess that's all of our thoughts on uh on this first three episode arc which overall you know we'll go with instead of giving it the uh the full grades, or we could give it full grades, but I'm just thinking more or less my grade is just kind of the Siskel and Ebel, Ebert uh, thumbs up. Yeah, I, I think a simple thumbs up or thumbs down works for, uh, you know, when you're talking about a, a video format like this as opposed to letter or number grades. So, yeah, I, I'd say thumbs up as well. I, I really enjoyed it much more than I thought I was going to. Cool. So I guess that's it for this episode. Uh, we'll see you next time, and we'll cover something. <laughs> I feel like you know. I feel like I should end it like Stan Lee would. Oh, be tuned next time for the most mind-boggling episode ever. Meanwhile, I have no idea what we're doing next time. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I would but say anyway. uh, you know, uh, since this is uh, you know uh, kind of a new thing that we're going to be doing, we you know this is a good opportunity to solicit uh, our listeners for ideas. You know, if there are things out there. Um, you know, other, uh, you know, comics in other media that you would like us to take a look at or talk about or whatever, uh, you know, throw, throw some suggestions at us. Absolutely. Back to the bins at twotruefreaks.com. And, you know, we also, you know, there's always the Facebook group as well. You know, the, the Back to the Bins yes. Facebook group. So, yes. Yeah. I'd love to see more activity on there. People post more thoughts, not only on the episodes, but on books that they pick up or story arcs they're interested in you know artwork that they come up with that they think looks cool uh any anything at all you know and you know positive itunes reviews are always welcome but in Please. the meanwhile we'll, we'll see you next week bye-bye thank you so much for listening to our show and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I love you. Galactus, take me with him! Take me with him! I will never forget you, Salabar. Glory! Perform your task as my herald, Norrin Rad. You must become far more than merely a man. I bestow upon you a portion of my own power cosmic. You shall absorb boundless strength from the cosmos itself, needing no food to eat, no water to drink, no air to breathe. You shall be able to transmute the elements and to heal others as well as yourself. Cosmic bolts of awesome power shall be yours to hurl. And neither the frigid cold of the deepest space nor the blazing heat of the brightest star shall harm your shielded body. Most importantly, I shall give you the means to travel faster than the fastest starship, so you may soar to the ends of the universe and beyond. Norenrad exists no more. You are newborn, my herald. Even your mind is a new page on which I shall write. Arise! Master, I am ready to serve. Then go, my silver surfer. The spaceways beckon, and the great hunger is upon me once more. To me, my boy. Behold the universe. Incredibly complex, yet wonderfully simple. Tragedy becomes triumph, and triumph turns tragic once more. What of this planet, Master? I gave a promise once to an honorable man. That planet is not for such as we. Once on a planet of wisdom known as Enla. There lived a man of nobility and courage. Now, a new being lives in his stead.